Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, broadcasting live every Thursday, 6 to 8 p.m. Central, from Panama City Beach, Florida, home of the world's most beautiful beaches. I want to take this opportunity to thank everyone for joining me on my weekly broadcast. Every week, I'll feature some of the best instructors, coaches, authors, and entrepreneurs in the golf business today. I begin with a great discussion on Coach's Corner, followed by an insightful interview with my special guest. So let's get started by introducing tonight's Coach's Corner panel. All right, good evening, everybody. And once again, thank you for joining me tonight on Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico. And... uh, just as the intro uh, said, we're going to start off with uh, Coach's Corner here in just a moment, and I'll introduce the guys in, in just a little bit. Uh, and then a little bit later on, I'm going to be joined by my special guest, Tim Kramer, the president and founder of Peak Performance Mind Coaching. He'll be joining me on the second half of the show, and I'm really excited to have him back. And he's also been uh, pretty active as well over the years on the panel, um, as as the two gentlemen are um, on here tonight. So. Um, really, really excited to have all of these guys on the show tonight, and um, we're going to get started here in just a minute. But let me remind everybody, Golf Talk Live is brought to you by the iGolf Sports Network and Golf Tips Magazine. Uh, iGolf Sports Network is a live stream broadcast and media production company providing top quality programming designed to attract the golfing enthusiast. Golf Tips, the game's most in-depth instruction magazine, offers views on the latest equipment, tips from top PGA and LPGA teaching professionals, all designed to help improve your game from T degree. So subscribe today at golftipsmag.com. All right. Uh, As I mentioned, we're going to start off with Coach's Corner, and let me just introduce the guys, and then I will bring them on, and we'll get into tonight's discussion. Um, First up, of course, is Pete Buchanan. He is the founder and director of instruction and owner of Plain Simple Golf, LLC. Uh, It houses the uh, Plain Simple Golf Circuit and the Simple Swing uh, Repeater Training Brace, and Pete's been teaching for uh, over the past uh, 30-plus years. Uh, also joining on the panel is Bill Abrams, uh, PJ professional and the 2017 and 18 uh, Central Illinois PGA Teacher of the Year. Uh, he's also the 2015 uh, Illinois PGA Professional of the Year and 2019 Illinois PGA Teacher of the Year. And he's also the owner, director of instruction at uh, Golf Solutions Academy at Belmaro Woods in Crate, Illinois. And in the uh, cooler months, you might find him down at Grand Palms Resort in Pembroke Pines, Florida. So guys, uh, welcome to Coach's Corner. Thanks uh, for joining me tonight. Ted, thanks as always for having us. I I appreciate that. So let's let's um, just do sort of a quick catch up. Um, as as I'm sure the the listeners all know, we've got a a lot going on right now around the globe, and particularly here in the United States with uh, the pandemic that we're dealing with. So I just thought. You know, we talked off air just briefly, and I was kind of asking you guys, uh, you know, where things sort of stand as far as teaching and that sort of thing, given our, our current circumstances. So, um, Pete, why don't you just maybe just give a, a quick recap what's going on in your neck? First off, where are you so that the, the folks know, and just kind of what's uh, happening in your area as far as uh, golf is concerned, playing and, and even instruction. And then, Bill, I'll get you to do the same before we get into the discussion. And I'm assuming, Pete, have you got on a mute? <laughs> There it is. There I am. Thank you, right. Ted. No problem. Um, for having no problem. me on, and uh, looking forward to it, Bill. You know, it's this area of St. Louis. That's where I'm at. Um, the golf courses have been open. Um, you know, they have each have their own stipulations. I know the, some of the 
uh, private clubs aren't allowing any guests. Um, you know, we have the particular golf course that I teach at has, you know, single carts, uh, or you can walk, keeping your your distances. You know, the, the the shop itself is closed up, so they have an area where you can go to. Um, the range has been open, um, you know, and uh, you know, lessons have been few and far between. But uh, May first, everything's starting to to move and turn around. So, you know, it's just going through the the protocols of of you know keeping your distance, watching what you're doing. And, um, you know, go ahead and, you know, give the lessons. And it's a little bit different, you know, from from what it was before. But, um, you know, we'll all find ways to get it done and, and um, you know, get out on the golf course some too, which is a, a, a nice way to get it done, some playing lessons and, and those things. So, um, you know, we've been fortunate to be able to, to, to do some things. I know some other states haven't, but um, mm-hmm. so hopefully now we've, we've turned the corner and, and everything's going to be, moving along yeah it's certainly going to take a a little bit i'm sure before we we get back to some sort of a sense of normalcy but uh it's nice to hear that uh you know some of my fellow professionals are able to start um you know moving in a a more forward momentum i guess bill what about yourself um i know we talked off air but uh maybe just let the the folks know um where you are you're i'm assuming you're back up north now um but um, what, what's been happening in your neck of the woods as far as the courses are concerned and how have you been adapting um, so far with, with some of the restrictions? Yeah, um, Illinois just uh, reopened golf on May 1st on uh, Friday, and um, they have some very, very strict uh, regulations, only twosomes, walking, 15-minute tee time. So, um, and um, club fitting and uh, private lessons are banned at this point in time as they they don't allow any practice ranges or practice areas to be open. Um, mm. That being said, we're, we, I am available to play golf with, with customers as they, as they should wish. But um, you know, it's just the restrictions are very, very tight, but uh, we're hoping that uh, they get loosened up here uh, very shortly. Uh, you know, as uh, it seems as though from all the operators I talked to over the weekend and then now that uh, the players really, really did a very, very good job standing up and uh, following the restrictions and making our jobs mm-hmm. a little bit easier. Yeah, I think um, I think a lot of people realize, um, you know, what's been going on and they're they're trying to be, you know, extra cautious for obvious reasons. And even though they're excited to get back out there and play and and now we're coming into some nice weather um, pretty much everywhere. Uh, I know it's still a little bit cool in some spots up north, but uh, it, uh, you know, it's getting into nicer weather, and they want to get out. And, uh, you know, we've all been kind of cooped inside for the most part um, for, you know, the better part of uh, a month and a half, going on to two months now. And, you know, it's you, just nice to get outside. So uh, I'm glad to hear that things are moving forward. And obviously many of the professionals nowadays, including I know you guys, um, have even before all this happened, have sort of gravitated to um, a lot of online stuff as well. So that really helps. Uh, and again, you know, I mean, obviously there are some, uh, uh, even some slowdown in that area, but it's nice that you've been able to communicate with some of your, um, you know, more frequent uh, customers and that through online process uh, analysis and things like that. So at least they're, you know, you're able to keep some of that momentum going. And, and once we get to, uh, you know, as I say, once the veil has been lifted, I think that uh, people will be, we've come in in droves, and I know in some places they already are, um, but uh, glad to hear that you guys are are, are opening up there and, and uh, things are starting to, to move a little bit as slow as it is, but I'm um, glad to hear that. 
Um, all right, we're going to have an interesting discussion tonight, and I actually, you know, when I do these coaches' corner segments, I try to research a little bit ahead of time to find some things that I think would be interesting. And I came across a blog that was uh, done by, and I'm going to give credit where credit is due. His name is Mark Solomon um, with uh, Golf Made Simple, and it's a blog that he has. And he he did a segment or a post, if you will, and the, asking the question, "Would you rather?" So I'm going to pose to each of you, "Would you rather?" question. So you're going to have to listen real intently, and I'll try to keep them as brief as possible. Uh, and I'd like to, to, you know, one answer what you feel um, would be the better option of the two, and maybe explain a little bit why for our golfers out there, why it would be, um, particularly for our amateurs, why it would be a, maybe a better option. So I'm going to give you an example of one. Um, I'm not going to answer on this one, but just to give you. So he uses this one, you know, would you rather hit your pitching wedge from 50, 50, 50 yards away, excuse me, to an island green Surrounded by water, that is, and he gives the examples, only five yards in depth, so front to back, and 40 yards wide, left to right, or to a green that is 40 yards in depth and only five yards wide. And obviously in that case, I think most people would rather have the first option, um, having the green a little bit wider, because um, they're not going to be you know, too concerned with direction, um, and it's much harder, obviously, to control the distance. So... Uh, I think that would be a pretty straightforward one. So I'm going to go, and um, Bill, I'm going to start with you if that's okay, and uh, go to a second one. So that's just the gist of the questions. I'll try to explain them, and if you're unsure or didn't pick up on something, I'll be more happy to repeat it. So this one here is um, the example, would you rather hit your best shot uh, solid, perfect from 155 yards to the flag, watches your ball flies perfectly straight to your target, a perfectly struck ball along uh, directly at the flag, yet it flies on the green, uh, over the green by five yards, or hit a half-topped, long-drive, ugly-looking shot from 150 yards to the flag that lands 35 yards short of the green, but continues to roll up onto the green and ends up 12 feet from the hole. So it's giving you two scenarios. Would you rather hit a perfect shot that maybe doesn't have the best outcome or a less-than-perfect shot but has uh, an optimal uh, outcome? Just explain what you feel would be the best um, option there uh, of the two scenarios and uh, and why you think for amateurs that might be the rep, the best uh, choice well Ted to uh, um, hit on some old cliches there are no pictures on the scorecard um, number one which uh, hopefully everybody understands that and, and can enjoy that thought um, and it's a results based game we need to hit our target mm-hmm. areas and there is no there is no pretty in golf. Sometimes right. ugly gets it done when pretty puts it in a hazard or puts it in a place that you can't get up and down from. So I know it sounds very crazy, but as opposed to flushing it, I would rather have a, a good result because then I can play on from there if I hit my target area. Right, and and you know, this kind of goes to you know really a point that. You know, I know you're bringing up, and that is, I think a lot of our amateur golfers, and Pete, I'm sure you would agree with this too, are more concerned about how their shot looks more often than not than really what, as, as Bill just pointed out, is what the end result is. I mean, I'm, I'm more excited about the, the end result, and if it's a less than perfect looking shot, uh, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to accept that. So I'm going to ask you a similar question and, um, and, and get you to respond. Um, in this particular one, it's, it's really more of not on a specific hole, but a generalization. And 
It talks about when you hit 14 solid perfect drives that carry 275 yards down the fairway, drives that your playing partners can't stop talking about, how beautiful a shot it is, and, and as you watch it soar through the air, yet all 14 drives get a terrible bounce that knocks the ball 40 yards to the right into the trees, leaving you in uh, only one position of, of hitting straight back out to the fairway without advancing the ball a yard closer to the hole, or hitting 14 drives that slice 15 yards and go about 190 yards, but each drive lands in the fairway, leaving you with a five iron and a perfect angle to the green. So it's giving you, again, a very similar scenario as to what Bill had, where you're hitting very solid shots, but maybe not having a great outcome. And in this case, you're hitting, um, you know, not so many great drives, but having a much better result. So maybe just, you know, reaffirm what uh, what Bill said and, and add your own thoughts in here as well. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm going to track right down the road with what Bill was talking about. You know, golf is is all about the results and, and what you get out of it. So, um, you know, these drives, if they're going to end up in play and, and I've got a chance to play from the fairway, that's what I'm going to take. Even though they may not be the same distance, they may not look like they're going to look like. And I like what Bill said before, where, you know, no pictures on the scorecards. I've asked people a lot of times just to what you're talking about, amateurs wanting to mm-hmm. have the ball look a certain way. I said, when you're watching the tour on TV on the weekends, do you see the ball fly or do you just see the result? Or if they see the result, and I right. said, that's what we're after here. So let's get the results down first because in the end we have to score. So I would definitely take the drives that are going to end up, you know, in the fairway where I have a five iron I can play from and, and, and go from there. You know, and even it's just a story along that line. I got to spend some time with Calvin Pete and, you know, we all know drove it straighter than just about mm-hmm. anybody. And and even he said he'd back up 20 yards if he knew everyone would end up in the fairway. And, you know, he wasn't right. the longest of hitters, but he knew he could play from there. And so right. um, there's there's a lot to be said about the the reason why the, the center of the, the grass is mowed shorter than the outsides. There's, there's a reason for that. It's easier to play <laughs> from there. And there's not as much hazards there. So um, I would definitely take the, the tee balls ended up in play. Yeah, and, and I think it's, you know, there's a lot of lessons sort of within some of these these uh, examples that he uses, and what was interesting about it, and I, I know there's a lot of similar outcomes, but there's a lot more that you can kind of unpack. For for instance, this one here, um, Bill, is, is really talks about, um, uh, you know, gr- hitting greens in regulation. So, you know, you're hitting uh, all the greens in regulation, um, but you're three-putting each of them for a bogey is the first option. The other one, would you rather that or miss all 18 greens in regulation, end up hitting one wedge shot and two putts to make bogey on the first 17 holes and then hit one wedge shot and one putt to make par on 18. So obviously you're, you're hitting a little bit better on the second, but it, it really puts it into perspective because, and, and I'm going to let you answer this, but the way I look at it is on the first example, you're three putting each of the holes. So even though you're getting in, in greens and regulation, it shows a weakness in your game. What are your thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. Again, it goes back to the target. I'm a big uh, believer and follower of uh, Scott Fawcett in Decade Golf. Um, mm-hmm. I think, to be quite honest with you, greens and regulation is a, is a nice stat, but it doesn't tell the whole story. Proximity to your target is really what tells the story. Um, you know, through his compilations and everything, there's times that the ball off the green is actually more scorable than one that's on the green. And that's something we have to do in our preparation. But um, 
I feel that, you know, if I've got a 10-footer uphill from the fringe that's off the green for birdie versus a, a an 8- or 9-footer that's on a 6-degree on a slope coming down plus, you know, 4 feet of break in it. You know, and again, those are a little extreme, but I think that there's, sure. you know, the greens and regulations sometimes are not always the best um, the best stats to tell you really what you're doing. It's more your proximity to your target and where your next shot yep. is scorable. I always tell players, you want to make your next shot easier than the one you just had. And sometimes, you know, for the, you know, trying to hit it on the green doesn't necessarily always put them in a place that it's going to be easy to make, uh, make up and in from two putts. Sometimes a chip and a putt is an easier play or a putt from off the green than a putt from on the green. Yeah, and 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 just to to add to that, you know, we often see in a lot of um, you know, a lot of amateur golfers may not understand why this happens, but you know, quite often we'll see in a tournament where instead of the player hitting right directly towards the target, meaning the flag, they might end up hitting over on the left or the right hand side uh, or even behind the pin because the way the slope is, it helps feed the ball, because they know that the, the undulations in the green are going to feed the ball towards the hole. And a lot of times, a direct shot coming in at the target is not necessarily the best option, because, you know, again, you run into the risk of it, it being too long, and it goes over, or put you in an, an awkward position, even though it might be a shorter putt, it, you know, you might now have a downhill putt. So you're exactly right in your analogy, is there's a lot of, a lot of thought has to go into this. And I think sometimes... You know, guys, believe it or not, I think a lot of players, if they were faced with some of these same scenarios, the few that I've given already, they might not choose the option that, that you're choosing because to them, their way of thinking is, I would rather look good and be hitting it solid and then worry about the score later. And I think sometimes if they would focus on the score and try to, to you know score better, which is ultimately what you want to do, then you can kind of work on some of the other things along the way. But, you know, we've seen it time and time again, some great players on tour that are phenomenal ball strikers, but they're not winning tournaments. So, you know, it just goes to show you, it doesn't matter how successful you are hitting the golf ball, um, if you're not putting it in the hole in the few strokes possible, you're, you're not winning the tournament. So, um, Pete, this one's for you, and this is a pretty easy one, but I thought it was kind of interesting. It goes right onto what I talked about. Um, would you rather be known as an excellent ball striker that can't break 90 or be known as an inconsistent ball striker that never scores higher than 89. I think that's a pretty easy one. What do you think? <laughs> well, you're, you're pulling at my heartstrings cause you know how, how I am about contact. Cause I'm always, I'm right. always wanting to be the one that hits it more solid, but um, yeah, again, you're, you're going after results. I mean, if, if you're going to be able to, to, you know, not hit it as, as well on a daily basis, but be able to score, then, you know, I'll take the scoring. I mean, that's, that's really what the game's all about. Um, you know, when you end up coming in the clubhouse, they ask you what you shot. They don't ask you to describe it. So, you know, you're just looking at a score. So, yeah, I think I would definitely go with, with the scoring on that. With, with the caveat, though, Ted, you know how well I, I go after ball striking. Mm -hmm. So, but, uh, yeah, sure. I'll go for the scoring on this one. Well, and, and, and that's, what I'm, that's really the point that I was trying to get at is I think I would rather be somebody that is scoring well and then, you know, once I know how to play and how to get it in the hole, then I can worry about, you know, prettying up the swing a little bit if I want to. 
um, without changing anything drastic. And I think sometimes, and, and you know, Bill and Pete, I, I know you would you've seen this many, many times with some of your amateurs, is they will spend hours on the driving range trying to perfect that golf swing and try to hit every shot perfectly. But then when you get them out on a playing lesson, they can't put two good shots together and, and you know, to save their life. So it, it's really for naught. And I think it's a matter of, of really helping people to understand that, yeah, you've got to work on the fundamentals and you've got to, you know, work on improving your ball striking along the way. But the optimal reason you're out there is to shoot a good score. I mean, would you rather be breaking 100 um, or shooting 100 or breaking, you know, 90, an 80 or, you know, and beyond, depending on your abilities? So I think you have to put things in perspective. Bill, this one here is, is, um, is kind of an interesting one as well. And um, for the player um, that playing 18 holes today, so playing around today and 18, another 18 holes tomorrow and scores 80 today is obviously going to be very, very happy. But on his round tomorrow, he shoots 100. So obviously he's going to be very frustrated because he shot 20 strokes lower the day before. Or would you rather both rounds shoot 90 both days? Well, what are your Ken, thoughts? That's, on... a, that's a really good one. <laughs> that's a really, really good one to to ask because that that everybody wants consistency, but mm-hmm. to me, consistently bad is not very good either. I'd rather see a right. player shoot eighty than a hundred because we can fix that pretty fast um, mm-hmm. with you know, with some strategy things and with some mental work. The problem is if somebody just shoots ninety all the time, um, they're not really getting excited. So, I mean, to be quite frank with you. I'd almost right. rather see that with a with a player find that big that big um, that big move and and people come to us all the time they say the, I I just want to be consistent I said well define consistent yep. well yep. I want to do everything kind of the same all the time well if that's shooting ninety I'd rather you be inconsistent and throw an eighty in there because the two things right. that we can do consistently as human beings is think and stand up to the golf ball correctly and we can figure that out pretty fast. Yeah, and it raises an interesting that that's a great point. It it raises something very interesting, guys, is this. Uh and, and Bill, you really hit it on the head. You know, it might sound at first glance or look at first glance that, you know, shooting ninety both days would be the better choice. But really I would rather have a player that can shoot eighty and even if he shoots a hundred the next day, because it tells me that he or she has the ability to go lower. So it's a matter of let's examine both rounds. Let's see what you did to shoot that 80, and what did you do to shoot the 100? And you're right. It's an easier fix with a player like that than it is that somebody that's consistently shooting you know, 89, 90, 91 in that range all the time because there's not very much improvement. But you know, somebody that's coming out there can shoot a, a pretty low number um, on any given round, and then even if they're not shooting that great, um, it, you know, it, it gives me – sort of a, a, a benchmark to work with because I know that they're now capable of getting those lower scores and it's just a matter of really examining what it is that they're doing to get to that level. Um, so I agree with that. I think that's a, a better route. Uh, I'm going to ask one more and then we'll, we'll move on. Um, Pete, this one's for you. Um, and this is uh, the scenario is in a, a scramble tournament um, environment. So uh, the question is, would you rather be the golfer in the group that gets chosen to hit their tee shot Last in the group because you're the bomber. Uh, once someone else in your group uh, has played safe to the fairway, so you can try to bomb 
the ball as far as you can, or would you rather be the golfer uh, picked to putt uh, last in the group because you're known as the best putter and you could watch everybody else putt so that you can read their putts and have a better idea of what the ball is doing. So you're the bomber. Uh, is that, uh, is that the, the better option there, uh, hitting it last after everybody hits their tee shot to see um, you know, what, what you can do if you can put some extra distance or if you're a really good putter, um, isolating uh, that particular area of the game. What are your thoughts there? Well, that's another good one. I've actually been both. So um, <laughs> I'd, I'd have to say um, I'd go with the putting. Um, I'd rather be the one to putt last um, to get a good look at it because um, I would feel much more confident that I can I can roll them in from that scenario um, and, instead of the one bombing them out there. So, I, you know, you're still going to have to, in scrambles, you know, inevitably you end up on the greens of regulation anyway. So, um, you know, all the time bombing it off the tee, except for maybe some par fives, it can be a little bit of an advantage. But to me, I, I'd rather be the one that uh, comes up last with the putter in hand. And, and um, I definitely feel much more confident in that way. And I think it just um, – the scenario with that too is I always tell them, usually when, when I'm playing in these, they, they want me to putt last. And I always tell them, I said, hopefully I don't have to putt at all today. So would you guys make them so I don't have to? But um, I still think that that would be a better scenario to be in to to, to have the putter in hand putting last and after seeing what's going on. Um, excuse me. Yeah, I agree with that as well. Uh, I think you know it's it's nice and it's fun and it can be exciting to you know to be able to to, to grip your driver and and you know launch it a, a mile out there. Um, but at the end of the day, it goes back to what we've, we've talked about here. And that is really, um, you know, scoring and, and getting, um, you know, getting in position, getting to your targets. And, you know, if you, if you've got a group where you're consistently hitting it in the fairway, even if it's maybe not as far as some of the other groups, but you're in play all the time, that's going to increase your chances. So now it comes down to really a matter of scoring. And if you've got somebody that's a, a pretty stellar putter, uh, in your group, then it gives you an opportunity to, uh, you know, as they point out in the example, to to allow the others to to sort of pave the way, if you will, and see what how the green's going to react, and then your better putter can step up and and hopefully capitalize on on what he's learned. Um, so I, I agree with that. It, it's an interesting thing, and and like I said, the reason why I wanted to choose that, I know it, it seems kind of like a, a silly comparison in a lot of these questions, um, but you know, as, as you both pointed out there's a lot of golfers out there that really don't think their way around the golf course. They focus on things uh, like some of the things we pointed out here in the questions um, that are really not going to help them um, at the end of the day. And that's really what our job is as instructors and coaches is to be able to help them navigate around the golf course and, and find their way, um, you know, to, to scoring better. And I think sometimes your decision-making is critical, um, whether you're a good ball striker or whether you can um, hit the ball well or not. Um, at the end of the day, if you can't put everything together and score well, it doesn't really mean anything. It might look good, but it doesn't really mean anything, and you're not going to win anything um, in tournaments or scrambles or what have you. So I think that's important. All right, I want to I shift to um, going back to a little bit of what we talked at the beginning. We've got... Um, a situation now where a lot of people uh, have not been able to get out and play. And, 
you know, people are concerned they haven't been able to practice and there's been a lot of creativity um, along the way as well. Some people working at home. Um, talk about, and, and I'm going to start, Pete, with you, if you don't mind. Talk about some of the things that the folks can be doing. Um, golf courses, as you mentioned, are starting to open up, but we're, no, we're not quite at full force yet. What are some things that people can be doing um, both on and off the course if they're open um, that can be helping their game, um, you know, considering they haven't been able to do much for maybe the last couple of months. What are some things that they can be doing right now to, to sort of recharge uh, the 2020 season? Well, if they haven't been out much at all or been doing anything at home, but first thing I would do is, is, you know, find you a little stretching routine before you get started. Make sure you get yourself loosened up and ready to go that you don't, you know, run into it too quickly because you're anxious to get out there and end up, you know, hurting yourself. So, I would definitely, you know, get some stretching routine in. Maybe you just take the club, swing a few in the backyard if you can, just to loosen up and, you know, get yourself prepared to go out there. And, you know, some of the things you can you can do at home, uh, obviously you can putt on the carpet or, or, you know, some on the hardwoods. And, uh, you know, one of the things that's been fun about uh, this lockdown situation is seeing all the videos of all the unique uh, courses people mm-hmm. have built in their houses for practicing oh, yeah. it's kind of fun to see those <laughs> and all the different things they've been able to do. It's, uh, it's, it's quite entertaining, but there are some things you can do at home with, you know, rolling some putts, just getting a feel for what's going on. If you can have a, a place where you can pitch a few, chip a few, you know, just to get a club in your hand, get used to the feel of what's going on, make, make a few you know, practice swings. If you don't have the ability to hit any. And then once you get out to the, to the golf course, you know, start yourself off, you know, pretty slow, you know, grab some of the short ones, you know, hit a few of the short shots. If you've got the ability to do that, to hit some putts, you know, get used to those short shots because they're going to help you score and then ease yourself into the, into the long ones, you know, sort of, as I always like to say, you know, warm yourself up to play, you know, hit some of the shots that you're going to be hitting that you know, you're going to have. So you may as well practice them before you start. So, you know, work on the short game. It's always going to be important. Um, you know, the putting green, obviously, we're going to have some social distancing. So, you know, if, if that's the case, you know, pick an edge and, and just work on your distance control and just put it to the fringe. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a great way to, to, to learn speed. And that's going to be one of the biggest things that you're going to need uh, when you play is, you know, how fast are the greens. So get, get that speed control down before you start. You don't necessarily have to hit to a hole. Um, you know, if you need some confidence that you're going to make something, go one foot away and knock it in and go on. But, you know, get the speed down before you start. That's going to be very beneficial uh, for going to play. So, you know, I, and, you know, just just be conscious of what you're doing. I mean, take it easy at the start. Um, it's, it's been, um, you know, some people don't start till now anyway. But it's, it's I know people are, are itching to get out there. I know my phone's starting oh, yeah. to ring because they know we can get outdoors and, and get it going. So, um, but I tell them, you know, make sure you get prepared. You know, do some stretching. You know, um, you've been sitting around and probably not doing much if you haven't been out. So just, you know, loosen up and um, just be conscious of what you're doing so you don't, you don't jump in too fast. But, um, you know, by all means, yeah. get out there and get started. Yeah, I agree. And, Bill, what about you? I mean, you know, for, for a lot of folks right now that haven't been able to get out, um, are you going to sort of treat this as um, a, a late start to the season and approach it from that way? I know maybe there's been some people that – um, you've been able to work with, uh, whether through an online presence or not, but um, are, are you going to sort of treat this as a, a late winter thaw and say, okay, we're going to start now um, with some of the folks that are, you know, as Pete just pointed out, that have maybe been hibernating a little bit and maybe haven't had the opportunity 
um, for one reason or another. What's going to be your approach moving forward now as, as things are beginning to open? It's a really good question. I've gone over that. I've had some Zoom calls the last four weeks with a lot of the regulars at Balmoral Woods. And, um, you know, one of the big things I was talking to them about is doing some walking. You know, because we are going to be walking a little bit more with the single carts, and if they, they ban the single carts, you're going to be walking. So definitely get that working out a little bit. That goes into the line with some stretching and, and being in, in reasonable shape. Uh, the biggest key uh, swing-wise that I'd, I'd really like to add on to people is really focusing on their balance. Being sure that you're not too far in your toes, not too far in your heels, not leaning too far left, not leaning too far right, but in a good, solid stable position because that is going to have a, a dramatic effect on your tempo and the speed of your swing with your dynamic balance allowing you to hit more solid shots as Pete likes to talk about. If our balance mm-hmm. is poor, it doesn't matter how good you think your tempo is, it's going to be very, very inconsistent. That's a big thing I see people coming out of the shoot having some problems with. And of course, off course, something that we can do is, is doing some pitching and chipping in the backyard. Um, working on high shots, low shots, you know, something as simple as taking your most lofted wedge and hitting a ball about as short as you can, maybe three feet. Then take the next one, try to chip it over that. Then take the next one and hit it over that. Then hit the next one, hit five balls that way, just to get a little bit of a sense and feel of how the club is moving, interacting with the ball and the turf. And I think you'll see a big, uh, big improvement. And, you know, going back to the balance, as my old saying is, you know, we can close our eyes. Take some practice swings with your eyes closed because once you turn off the uh, the cameras, you're going to be flying mm-hmm. on instruments and you'll know right where everything is. Right, right, exactly. Well said. Um, you know, the, the the question comes to mind um, as we all, you know, move forward um, sort of in the aftermath of what's been going on. And, you know, a, a lot of folks have, have had to make changes um, not only in their golf game, but even how we approach um, things. Now, obviously, the things will return to uh, a, a familiar sense, if you will, hopefully over the next few months. But I think there's going to be some changes, um, long-term changes, um, as a result of social distancing, because this potentially could happen again. So what I want to ask you both this at this point is, what changes have you made uh, or are planning to make in preparation, um, you know, have you adjusted, have you changed your business model, how you're doing things uh, and how you will do things in the future, um, not necessarily in preparation, but just as the result of what's happened. Are there changes that you're looking at or have been making uh, or have already done that will serve you down the road um, as a result of, of whatever potential changes, um, both in the interim and then obviously permanently down the road, there may be some changes on how we, we do certain things in our everyday life when it comes to, obviously, in this case, golf. So I'm just curious to see if you have Im- implemented some changes already that you will sort of carry on down the road to some level or some degree. And if not, um, what have you been thinking about that you may uh, approach maybe a little bit differently, uh, knowing what we know now? Uh, Pete, you go first, and then Bill. That's a great question Ted you know there's there's definitely going to be some things that are going to be a little bit different you know I use quite a bit of video so for me um, I've got a, a setup to where I'm going to have a monitor that uh, they can use to see and I'll cast what I'm doing over to it um, so that uh, I can 
I can keep my distance from them while explaining to them and they can see, you know, normally you hold an iPad or something right next to them and talk to them, but you know, you're not going to be able to do that for a while. So I've got a, a setup to where they can actually see a monitor and look at it. Um, and that'll, that'll take care of that situation. Um, you know, I had one just the other day where we were, we were talking and, you know, he has one of the programs that I use. So I was, you know, filming and, and, doing some things on it and then voicing over and shooting it right to him right there while we're standing there. And, um, you know, so he can, he can play it right back. We didn't have the monitor set up at this time, but he could look at it on his and, and see the playback right away. So, you know, those are some, a, a couple of things that are going to have to be adjusted a little bit. Um, you know, for me, um, you know, I, I do quite a bit of online lessons anyway. So that, that part didn't have to change as much, but what it did do for me is I was able to set up a, you know, a home range, you know, back basically in the backyard. So I'm going to be doing a lot of filming out of that. So um, it worked out quite well. So I think I'm going to utilize that more to, to mm. be doing more things from there, more stationary and, and doing a lot more drills and things from that situation. And plus I think it gives people, um, you know, the idea you can do these types of setups at home and it can really help your practice. Even if you're hitting, you know, 14 feet into a net or 12 feet into a net. There's a lot of things you can do right. and, and work on and look at. Um, and so those are those are a few things that, you know, the golf course changes are going to be some too. I mean, you're going to have to be, you know, limited in the spacing. So, you, you know, you're going to have to watch yourself out there, which is fine. And, and, and if there's, you know, going to have it to twosomes or, or singles or whatever you want to do, we, you know, we'll just adapt with the times and how they go. I don't think the golf course will be, be terribly different uh, other than I think it, it fuels for a lot more playing lessons. I think that's going to be a pretty cool thing to do. Um, but I just think from, just from an overall standpoint, I think we're just going to have to be aware of, of, of our surroundings. You know, we're, we're such as, as human beings, we're, we're such, you know, in, in a personal tone of shaking hands and, Hey, how you doing? And, you know, some of those things are going to have to, you know, take a, take a back seat. But, uh, you know, I, I think just for me, those are probably the biggest things that, uh, that's all I'll have to do. Um, and I'm sure I'm going to encounter some more as I go along, because as I said, we just got started going back outdoors uh, to give face-to-face lessons. So I'm sure I'm going to encounter a few more things as we move down the, down the road. Yeah. And, and, you know, Bill, for you, I, I'm sure that, you know, you, you mentioned a few things earlier, but um, you know, I, I think in a lot of ways it's allowing us as instructors and, and, you know, coaches and that, to really uh, become very creative. Um, you know, we're dealing with um, a, a younger generation coming up now, which are, are very more into um, technology and they like um, not only video, but they like to um, have that social media or, or social interaction online, if you will, or through uh, some other format. So it really opens uh, the door for a lot of possibilities, some which Pete talked about. So what about you? What are you going to do uh, moving forward? What what things are you going to adjust, if anything, um, as a result of what's going on? And do you do you feel it's going to add to um, and give you some other opportunities that maybe you hadn't considered as a result of what's going on? Yeah, it certainly is. And fortunately for me, I've never been a touchy-feely coach. So um, I <laughs> prided myself in being able to communicate things to people um, without me having show them but without touching them and I think that's that's going to right. be a big hurdle for a lot of coaches I and mean, I can foresee that right away myself personally 
the playing lesson is, is something I can work on uh, putting things together once we get back to foursomes where I can work with three players at one time um, and give myself a lot more access. I've also, um, I'm getting reworked. So it's going to um, to do, uh, you know, through that video lessons through the app. And I use uh, another product called Blast. Blast Golf mm-hmm. is a sensor that goes on the end of the club. And that uh, is training for 14 clubs. And it is Bluetooth that goes onto the uh, iPad or the iPhone. So I can use it right that moment there, but also with um, utilizing it with video as well. So there's a lot of technology that I have available that you don't have to be standing right on top of somebody to be able to communicate um, effectively to them how things, you know, how you could suggest to do things so they're going to better results. Yeah, and and I think, you know, this is going to open up the door for a lot of instructors to be able to, you know, Pete, as you talked about, I mean, not everybody's going to be able to do it quite to the same degree as you do, depending on their circumstances, but it's going to give people the opportunity to be able to work on things even at home without having to get into, um, you know, I mean, obviously eventually driving ranges and that will reopen as, as, you know, people become more confident as, and as, um, uh, you know, policies change, but for right now, it, it opens up a door to really allow people to work on some of these things that they can work on at home and not have to drive to the golf course, especially with people that have time restraints. And, you know, they may only have, you know, 15, 20 minutes to work on something and they think, well, I got you know, it takes me nearly that long just to get to the facility. Um, and I don't have that now it suddenly becomes closer to an hour. So they don't have that time. So if they can do some things, if their coach or teaching pro can say, hey, let's do a, a Zoom chat or let's do, you know, what other format and let's give you some things to work on. And if you're able to set up a little workstation, um, you know, in your backyard uh, that you can, you know, utilize some of these tips and drills that when you get out on the golf course, you're going to be a little bit more familiar and, and not, you know, starting from, from behind. Um, I think the other thing too, what, um, what's really kind of interesting right now is, and as both of you alluded to earlier, we're seeing a lot of um, innovative things and, and very interesting um, videos online with, with people just doing all kinds of things just because they, they want to, you know, do something to, um, to alleviate the, the boredom. But um, I, I think, I think that we have to, as an industry, um, there's going to be some, I'm sure they're going to be very slow to want to make changes, um, but they're going to have to, if they want to survive. And I think it's a matter of, of, you know, utilizing what's available out there and as far as technology and also um, with some of the new techniques, because, you know, Bill, as you pointed out, um, you're somebody that's not really a hands-on person or a touchy-feely type person. So you're going to have to be more creative, um, you know, to to be able to work with your students. Um, What is, uh, and Pete, I'm going to come back to you. What is the thing that you're looking forward to most this season besides um, getting back? What about as far as on the professional level? You know, we we have gone without watching really uh, any golf for, for some time. What are some things that you're looking forward to um, as far as on the professional level, working with people and also um, the tournaments and so forth? Yeah, it's going to be quite interesting with, you know, the, the professional side to see how well these guys are going to be prepared. I know I've, I've got several of them that I'm working with that were 
you know, trying to keep them, you know, moving along during this time. And, and uh, it actually for a couple of them has been really good because we've been able to make some significant changes while they're not playing. Um, so that's been a, a real blessing on that, that side. But, you know, I think just from, just from being a fan of golf, it, it's going to be nice to be able to see the pros back out playing again, the, the different tours out going. Um, it's going to be good for golf to have it back on TV so we can watch it. But I think what I'm looking forward to more than anything else that you were just talking about is in this time is, you know, the challenge of being more creative and figuring out better ways and different ways to, to get results, to get things done with the students, to get better pictures of what you're trying to do. So I think that's going to be fun to be able to, you know, go out and, and where you would normally be able to do something that you can't do now, you know, how am I going to get this point across, you know, even even better than I used to before uh, under the circumstances. So I think that's going to be a pretty cool challenge that I'm looking forward to. to and uh, it was funny because I was even thinking that the other day, the first time I was out, I'm, I'm standing there, I'm thinking, okay, how am I going to, how am I going to get this across? You know, so I'm already being challenged to, to try to figure out a different way uh, to get this point across to the student. And I think it's, you know, it's, it's, you know, I haven't been a real, as Bill said, you know, hands on type myself either, but um, I just think it's going to be a great way to, to really, really challenge all of us to become better at what we do, more efficient at what we do. And I think the students are going to be the, the beneficiaries because they're going to be able to, to catch on, I think more clearly because I think we're going to get better at what we're doing. I think overall for the game, it's, it's going to be great, but I'm, I'm really looking forward to the, to the tour players getting back out there and playing. You know, I just think having, having them out there playing and, and the abilities to, to watch it and hear what's going on, I think is just a great service for the game. And, and uh, I'm really looking forward to having it back out. Yeah. I, I'm sure many of them are, are just itching to get back out. Um, <laughs> excuse me. You know, Bill, something that I don't know whether a lot of people in, in the golf industry have really thought about, but one thing coming out of this um, pandemic that I thought I was thinking about the other day, and I'm, I'm curious to get your thoughts on this. Um, you know, families have been forced to sort of hunker down together, um, you know, over these last, uh, you know, couple of months. Um, you know, we've all, for the most part, been been pretty much forced to, to be into a lock-in situation. And because, you know, we're not able or have not been able to get out and do a lot of things independently, um, it's given people, uh, I think, a greater chance to um, spend more quality time together. People, you know, reflect and, and take a sort of an easier approach because we're limited on what we can do. And I know last week uh, on the panel, um, one of the guys mentioned that um, they're getting a lot of people um, because their their courses have been been open, they've been getting a lot of people, families particularly, you know, parents bringing their kids, um, just because you know they've got nothing to do and they're looking. Golf was one of the few refuges, if you will, of uh, of availability compared to other things. And I'm wondering if this is an opportunity to really target families for golf and saying, hey, you know what, um, we've got to take things slow, but this is an opportunity for your family to do something together uh, as a group. And even though, yes, we've got to monitor uh, distancing and things like that. What do you think about that? I mean, we, we've all been trying to do that, but because people have been kind of put in a, in a box, if you will, 
um, it's given them more bonding time, if you will, as families, which we haven't really done, um, unfortunately, for a long time because everybody's busy doing their own things. But now we've been forced to do, um, you know, something different. Do you see that as an opportunity for the industry to say, we need to focus on things that um, can help people to continue that that relationship a little bit better and now bring it into golf? talking with a lot of the folks I know all around the country, and if you have any experience just in South Florida before they shut us down, and even going up mm-hmm. into Central Florida, we're seeing a lot of people who had played very little starting to play a lot again. Um, my, yeah. my pet peeve, the, the, the lapsed player, the person that used to play four times a month now plays four times a year. That is an opportunity that we have available right here, right now, in front of us yep. for that lapsed player. Uh, families, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think we're doing, you know, there's a lot of clubs like mine that do, do a fantastic job with, with promoting family right. activity, and that's only going to grow from this uh, once the uh, is allowed to, uh, you know, allowed to happen a little bit more. Um, but um, I, I, I say that I think we're beginning to, we're going to start to see a lot more people who haven't played much. They had some spare time right. on their hands or some extra, some force time, and there was one thing that they knew, um, it was even some places you couldn't fish, but you could golf. So, right. <laughs> I think, right. You know, I think, you know, depending on where you're at, this is a wonderful opportunity to get that lapsed player and get that, like I said, that person that used to play three to four times a month and now play <laughs> times a year if they're lucky, if we can get them to double their output. I mean, think about all the lapsed players and the underserved players mm-hmm. out there. If we can get them to double their rounds, if they played eight mm-hmm. rounds last year, let's get them to play 16 this year. What a biblical impact that will have on the industry. Yep. I mean, it's, it's, it will be absolutely crazy. Well, and, and yeah, that's, a, that's an excellent point, and, and I, I couldn't agree more. What was interesting about the comments that he made um, last week on the show was that there were a lot of people that were coming out to their, that facility – that had never picked up a golf club before. So it was introducing, and although it was being forced in the sense that, you know, obviously they were limited in what they could do. So, you know, golf unfor- for them, fortunate for us, but maybe in their thought was the only thing uh, option available. But it introduced a, a sport and a game to people that had never picked up a club before. So I think this is a real opportunity for the industry to be even more welcoming and more inviting to those that uh, – not only have never played before, but Bill, as you pointed out, people that maybe haven't played that much or are not playing that much for whatever reason, um, they're going to be looking for things to do. So yeah, I think this is a great opportunity for clubs and for organizations and for teaching professionals to reach out to some of their members and some of their, their you know fellow students that maybe haven't been out for a while and say, hey, you know what, um, this is an opportunity maybe to, to rekindle that that fire that you you know you had out in the golf game and and if we need to, to work on a few things to to you know to help that uh, come to fruition then that's a great opportunity as a teacher professional to to be able to capitalize on that and i think um i think you're exactly right i think um this would be a, a pristine opportunity for the industry to do just something like that and i think you're going to see it happen um hopefully um we'll, we'll get that going but first and foremost we need to lift the veil and uh, get everybody out there and playing and and uh, get some back to some sort of a normalcy. But uh, it, it's certainly been an eye-opener, I think. Um, what about um, just sort of some final thoughts um, on the season? 
Um, again, Pete, you know, we, we haven't been able to watch any tournament golf. Do you think it just, a, this is just a basic question, obviously nothing, nothing too in depth. Do you think it's going to be hard for people to get back into it knowing that part of the season is going to be gone? Yeah, I don't think so. I think they're, they're willing to, to their favorite players play again. And so regardless of what the schedule is, I think they'll put enough, you know, uh, events out there, I, you know, having the masters in November. I mean, what a great deal mm-hmm. that's going to be. I'm looking forward to that. Right. And then, you know, you only have a few more months and we have it again. So I think right. that's going to be, you know, a, a really cool thing to, to experience, um, you know, where they've placed the tournaments. And I think they've done a good job of that, but I, I don't, I don't think so. There, there'd probably be a few that, you know, may not, you know, because they haven't ever right. watched so far, but I think because of what's been going on, I, I think they're anxious to watch it. I know I am and, and uh, anxious to get some of those the players that I coach out there and, and see how they do. Um, but no, I, I think it's going to be, it's going to be really good. And I think to your point to what you were just talking about, if they're smart um, and they can get some advertising going on, they should be talking about the same points you were just talking about. Um, mm-hmm. we, have, we do have a, a huge advantage to be able to get more people out there. So if they can, you know, the PGA of themselves can think about that and, and some of the type of advertising they do, they can really do a great service to the game by, by getting the word out. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And, and obviously, you know, um, Bill, as, as Pete just pointed out, you know, the masters is now going to be in November and, um, you know, the schedule has obviously been adjusted. There's been some, um, you know, major tournaments. The Open's not going to be played this year. Um, and, um, you know, obviously some other earlier events. Do you think it's going to be difficult for some of the players? You know, they came out of the gate. I mean, we, you know, I interviewed uh, one, the first winner on the Symmetra Tour of the season. And then the very next week, of course, they, they went into a, sort of a, uh, a shutdown, if you will. Do you think it's going to be difficult for the players having such a long period off and, and sort of interfering with their season that it's going to be a little difficult for them to, to pick up their momentum or are they just going to treat it as starting a brand new season from this point on? You know, that's a great question. I think certain players will just keep going moving on because they've been disciplined enough to work on their bodies and their physical, work on their mental routines and keep themselves extremely sharp ready to go. Those that have had ability to play have been playing money games with their, uh, their friends and their cohorts. Um, <laughs> right. I think it's an easy excuse for a lot of people though. To say, well, I had momentum and lost it and everything. And, you know, anybody that I've known that's a champion would never say, Hey, I had a lot of momentum. Everything stopped. It was a rain delay. You know, how many players right. come out of a rain delay? We looked at this as a prolonged rain delay. Um, right. You know, play great, and then they hit darkness and come out the next morning and birdie the next, or somebody else comes out and double bogeys both of them. Um, I think it, it just goes to the person and it's individual how they're going to handle this situation. Um, some will be woe is me, and others will see it as it's half full <laughs> and it's just a time to rejuvenate. And in a way that the season has become protracted as it is, where it's a continual 365 day tour season basically with Christmas week off I I really right. have a feeling that some people they take their break now and then they just pile it up on the end so I, I don't you know it, it's going to be on an individual basis I really have to say that and I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus but I, I definitely will tell you that some players will handle it better than others sure well this goes to really um, 
you know, sort of the, the ultimate test, of course, management, um, but on a, on a bigger scale. You're right, there's going to be some players um, that handle themselves very, very well. They're going to come out that, you know, like you said, they've been keeping themselves in shape, that have been, you know, doing whatever they can to practice wherever they can um, to keep their, their game sharp. And, and obviously they, you know, haven't been able to, to get out there perhaps in some cases and, and actually hit shots. I think most of them have probably... Uh, position themselves in, in an area that they could do something, but um, it, it is, it's going to be a test. It's going to be interesting to see, um, you know, because they were all fired up and ready to go on, on all of the tours. And then suddenly, you know, there was an abrupt halt and, um, you know, some cancellations um, midstream. I mean, the players was one, I mean, that was, uh, you know, kind of an odd situation on its own. So it's going to be interesting to see how the players handle it. It's going to see who really has the mental um, capacity, if you will, and the fortitude to to be able to, uh, you know, just say, okay, I'm going to treat this as though the season's starting right now. I'm fired up. I'm ready to go. I'm warmed up, and uh, let's get out there and, and make some things happen. And I think there's going to be some others that are saying, well, you know, we're in June, July now, and and uh, or August, depending on what happens. And uh, you know, mentally, in their mind, part of the season's gone, and it's going to be interesting to see what happens. But I'm going to be excited when it comes back. Either way. And I'm looking forward to uh, everybody getting back out there and, and playing some golf and enjoying this this great game. Um, well, that's it, guys. Believe it or not, that was uh, our hour together. And um, I'm going to give you an opportunity both to uh, just let the folks know if they want to reach out. Uh, the best way to do it, Pete, you go first, then Bill. Again, thanks, Ted, for having me on. Bill, it's always great to be with you. Um, they can reach me at plainsimplegolf.com. It's P-L-A-N-E for the plane. Uh, all my contact information's out there. So, um, um, you know, if you're interested, uh, just reach out to me and then let's get a conversation started and, and talk about your golf game. So that's it. Perfect. Very well. Thank you. And Bill, what about yourself? Simplest way to get me is my website, billabramsgolf.com. Uh, pretty simple contact information there, email from phone to everything. And, uh, um, I have my app available now um, from Swing U. It's uh, just Bill Abrams Golf Solutions Academy. Uh, you can download that, and then you can message me, and I will get you the code to get into it. Perfect. Um, well, congratulations on the launch of, of that, and uh, I hope that uh, a lot of folks will, will take advantage of it and, and, uh, and download that. Um, guys, continue to, to stay safe, and, and uh, good luck this season. I know it's it's uh, going to be a little bit of a slower start than what we normally would be used to, but um, I know that it sounds like you guys are are uh, have been well prepared and, and are continuing to prepare and, and make adjustments along the way. And it's uh, it's going to be a learning curve for everybody, I think, but I think everybody's been um, been handling it pretty well. So um, much continued success, guys, uh, throughout the season, and I will see you next time on Coach's Corner. Thanks for doing it, guys. Thanks, Ted. Thanks for having us, Ted. Really appreciate it. Take care, Pete. Hey, you too, Bill. All right, that was Bill Abrams and Pete Buchanan on the Coach's Corner panel. A little bit lighter discussion tonight. We talked a little bit about uh, the current situation, and we talked about some uh, would-you-rathers, if you will, which was kind of an interesting thing. And, uh, again, I want to uh, give credit uh, where credit is due, and that was uh, Mark Solomon, uh, Golf Made Simple. It was a, an interesting blog uh, that I came across with, and uh, he had some very interesting takes on uh, a couple of different scenarios and, and what would you rather do? And, and uh, the guys just sort of uh, firmed it up a little bit and as to, uh, 
uh, how they would handle a situation and why it was beneficial one way as opposed to the other. All right. Um, glad to have my, my special guest on tonight. Um, he's uh, not only been a featured guest many times, but he has also been a, uh, a um, member of the Coach's Corner panel uh, over the years as well. I'm talking about, of course, Tim Kramer. He is the president and founder of Peak Performance Mind Coaching, LLC. Uh, he's also a visionary peak performance mind coach with uh, locations in Palm City, Florida, and Cincinnati, Ohio. And uh, he is has, offers a program utilizing innovative and pioneering mind coaching techniques. Um, please welcome my very special guest, Tim Kramer. Tim, good evening and welcome. Ted, how are you doing tonight? I, I'm doing fantastic. Um, it's, uh, as I was just talking to the guys, I'm sure you heard the last few minutes of it. It's, it's been kind of an interesting, uh, juncture along the way, these last couple of months for many people, yourself included. And, uh, I think before we get into tonight's discussion, I'll maybe give you an opportunity, um, to just talk about some of the things that, that you've been doing and how you've adjusted to, um, what's been going on, uh, you know, with, with your business. I know you have uh, obviously a, a strong online presence, but uh, you also work, uh, you know, in close concert with uh, with a lot of your, your students and so forth. But uh, uh, what's been going on the last couple of months? How have you adapted to this crisis uh, with respect to uh, uh, to peak performance? Yeah, it was it was really interesting. Great to hear. Um, um, I did catch the tail end of what the guys were talking about. Loved what they had to say, and and I pretty much agree. And yeah, what what I'm finding is that um, um, it's it's very interesting, of course, in the situation that shut down the tours and everything like that. But what I'm finding, even with my students, is I would dare say that those with a great attitude before everything shut down. Mm-hmm. have remained a great attitude and everybody that was kind of mm-hmm. pessimistic or whatever about their games before the whole thing shut down were the ones right. that were making it a problem. So it, it just kind of confirms what I've always said is that kind of how you're wired is how you're going to see it anyway. So obviously, you know, those are the, those are the things we work on and the techniques we work on. So it really has not been, um, that much of a challenge for me as a mind coach, basically what I do anyway, once I get to work with a player in person and kind of see their, their game and their swings and uh, their, their habits and their body language and things like that, um, then most of our conversations are done remotely or on the phone anyway. So uh, for me, it has uh, not been that challenging. Um, the one thing I would say that has been – I think a benefit to a lot of them is, uh, and maybe you've seen this too, that a lot of them were working, who were working on a, uh, say, a particular move in their swing, really gave them time mm-hmm. to do it uh, in a non-competitive yep. situation. A lot of times they're out there week to week, and and they want to make a change, but they don't really have time to do it. Or if they do it, they're kind of afraid or reluctant to put it into uh, in the competition. So. In a way, it's been kind of, again, the optimistic ones are using this as a time to really improve on something in their games. And uh, I think that uh, that will uh, yield some great benefits once things kick in again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. You know, it's been interesting that the guys were talking about a little early on in the segment um, that, you know, they've, they've really noticed some very interesting um, <clears throat> things that people have done. You know, they've you know, built themselves their own little uh, in-house, if you will, 
practice facility. I mean, everything from, yeah. you know, some pretty ingenious, you know, putting apparatus and, and whatnot. And they, they've actually, you know, it was, was really kind of fresh. I mean, some obviously take it to a little extreme, but um, what was interesting with some of them, uh, Tim, is that they were very creative in the sense that they, they made little games uh, out of their putting. Yes. And, and, and so, and this is something that we haven't seen for a long time with a lot of our golfers is because again, they, they have limited time to get out on the golf course to practice is a big issue. Um, but uh, you know, and, and everyday, you know, job, uh, commitments and things like that prevents them from really honing in on areas that really need. So this is even not just with the prof or not just with the players, but even with the professionals, I've talked to some of my fellow professionals and they, um, they've even had to ratchet back some of the things that they've done and to make adjustments sure. um, that sure. they, they normally have not had the opportunity to do because they're just, you know, they're just so gosh darn busy. So this has really allowed right. them an opportunity to reflect and, and refocus their efforts. And, uh, and I think right. it's going to pay off uh, in the long run. What, what about yourself? Yeah, I, I mean, we're, we're getting ready to launch a new website and, and new apps and things like that and a new membership program and, and that I'm very excited about. And, and it's really given me the time to, uh, to do that. And the other thing that I would say is that um, uh, the private students that I have who are, who are not professionals, but yeah, I work with, uh, you know, quite a few better low handicap amateurs, whatever. And, and while they're at home and everything like that, they're having more time than ever to just grab a putter in their house or a wedge in their backyard and work a little on their games during the day because they're not having to be at the office. And so, um, right. again, what I'm finding is, that, yeah, and, you know, we talk so much in this game about attitude anyway, that those with great mm -hmm. attitude have found very cre creative, fun ways of of coming up with new games. One of my guys was um, – was uh, you know put the put the circle out in the backyard. He never had it before. The net out in the backyard and seeing how many in mm -hmm. a row he could do. You know pit, pitch into it. Well, finally had the time to do that. Now he's been telling himself to, I, I'd like to do that for years, but now has the time. So um, I I think that I think this whole thing is really changing the way that we um, are going to start uh, maybe doing business, even in golf. Mm -hmm. And certainly communicating mm -hmm. with each other, then and that you know we'll take advantage of that uh, moving forward and and get ready uh, to um, to do some wonderful things and hopefully this this um, this thing will blow through quite quickly. It looks like maybe we're getting toward the uh, toward the point where things are going to start easing up a little bit. Let's hope so, and uh, we can mm -hmm. get back out on the courses and things like that and and have some fun. Yeah, it, it's 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 definitely been uh, you know an interesting journey and and you know I've uh, interestingly enough I think I've I've had more Zoom chats and and yeah. uh, you know online meetings and and whatnot uh, in the last you know several weeks than I think I have in my entire life. So it's been yeah. you know it's been kind of interesting and and so from from a technological standpoint it's I've had to brush up and hone up my skills. Uh, to make sure I was doing everything correctly. So, yeah. so there's, been, the right there's been a benefit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And not cutting yeah. somebody off midstream. Exactly. All right, so, it, you know, and, and I mean, and like I said, there's going to be a lot of synergies that come out of what we're doing right now. I mean, a lot of people have obviously gravitated, as, as you have, to uh, a variety of different online platforms for teaching and coaching and, and so forth. 
um, have already been doing that. But I think it's it's allowed them to even take it uh, you know a step further in some cases and and working with students at home now. Um, as opposed to, you know, and, and as a, the example I gave earlier with one of the guys was one of the big problems a lot of people have is they might only have 15, 20 minutes to do certain things on their game, and it might be that sure. much or more just to get to the facility that's close by. So now yeah. they're, you know, now it's an hour. And for that reason alone, many of them are just, you know, heck with it, I can't do that. Where, you know, you can schedule a Zoom call or you can schedule, uh, you know, sure. there's obviously a lot of different platforms out there where the coach can say to them, hey, okay, let's work on some of these things. You can't get to the range. You can't get to the course, um, but we can still right. work on some of these things at home. Get out in your backyard. Let's, you know, set up the iPhone or what have you or the iPad oh. and, and we, you know what I'm saying, and, and interact. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Well, the other thing that I find, in, and um, you tell me. You know but, what that's saying. So. Um, yeah, uh, sorry to interrupt. Um the other okay. thing that I see is that that we can they they do have these little chunks of time and and say for example we're you know maybe this is a very simplistic example but we're we're maybe working on a grip change or something like that well this is something mm-hmm. they can do the grip change and for 15 minutes can just move with the club and feel their bodies and and I think there's a big advantage sometimes to not being able to hit balls and sense your body moving. And, um, you know, bring that as a practice. The other thing that I've experienced as a mind coach, again, is it's a big part of what we do is we, we combine the mind coaching with the swing itself and with ball striking. And, and there's a great opportunity there to um, when you're not reacting to ball flight, it's a perfect opportunity right. to learn if you want to make it that. And uh, so, again, I'm finding a lot of really excited students. That of course, they can't wait to get out again. But they've—I right. say I feel like they've developed a new set of skills that is very exciting to them, and uh, they're ready to go, ready to go uh, try them out. But at least they've learned it in a way where they've developed some skills, and uh, for when they begin to get out here in a few weeks, hopefully month or whatever. Well, there is an area that you don't have to be outdoors, and you don't have to necessarily be on the golf course, but through some very specific training and, and coaching uh, can help them for when they do get out there. And we're talking about your profession. And I know that you have, um, from a mind game coaching perspective, that you have uh, a number of uh, qualities that you think uh, really sort of rule supreme, as you put it, um, in different areas. Uh, and, and I would like you to, to sort of touch on each of these and maybe explain a little bit more. And I'm talking about, uh, you know, uh, desire, expectation, belief, and acceptance. These are four areas that um, obviously fall into your category. And these are things, again, they don't have to be on the golf course, but these are things that you can be working with them. So let's hit the first one first, desire. Why is desire important? Desire, I I just think that desire is um, one of those qualities um, that um, we – we want we want it pretty badly in many cases, and again, the, with with more top athletes, they want it. Uh, the question that comes up a lot for me as a coach is that: Can I want it too much? Can I desire it too much? And my answer is always: You can't want it too much. Desire, strong desire, is not the problem. Um, what the problem is is a lack of belief and the frustration that comes in when you're not getting what you desire. So, a lot of times, mm-hmm. what I have, what I hear is players who are afraid to want it, but really what that is is they're more tapped into the energy of feeling afraid that they can't get it. So 
the skill that we right. work on in the mind coaching is really getting them to hold on to that feeling of desire that, yeah, I really want this. And that desire feels awesome. And if they were to just stay tapped into the positive feeling of desire, there's never a problem. It's when they start to doubt it and they start to get frustrated. That's the problem. It's not the desire that's the problem. So we try to keep desire at a very optimal level of them standing in before a shot. Now, these are qualities we work on in the, both the pre- and the post-shot routines with some very specific skills. But we want, really want, I'd love to see athletes that have high desire and uh, they are not afraid to step in uh, into a shot, feeling like, uh, yeah, they really want something great to happen. And, you know, you're right. I think that it goes back to what you said earlier. It really goes back to their attitude coming into it. Yeah. And if they have a positive um, attitude about things, even if they're not playing at their best, even if they're not – you know, able to utilize or, or execute some of the things that as a coach, as a, as a, um, a teaching professional, um, the fact as long as there's a desire and a thirst for knowledge and wanting to learn uh, is there, um, they can be very teachable. I mean, I, I believe anybody can be teachable, but you have to be open-minded and you have to have a certain yeah. desire um, to want to learn. And, you know, and want to be, and, and you have to be receptive to that teaching as well, which some people are not. They close off and, you know, if they're not seeing results the first time around, um, yeah, right away absolutely. the walls come up. You, you know what I'm talking about. Um, and that sort of, of leads course. us into expectation. Right, right, exactly. You, you know, it, you get a lot of people that they, they just expect things, um, uh, you know, from a standpoint, everything's got to happen now and, and I can't wait until tomorrow. And that you know, um, leads right into to expectation. So go ahead, sorry. Yeah, before, no, 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 no. I was just going to say the little bit on desire is that they're afraid to want it because it hurts too much to want it. Right. It's like I'm afraid to get really excited about this. I'm afraid to really want it because in a way, if I don't get it, um, then I'm really going to be hurt. And, and I see this with a lot of mini tour players. They've been out there a long time. They have invested their lives yep. into it at that point. And they get to the point of where they're almost afraid to want it anymore because it has been so painful not getting what they want. What they don't realize is that they're giving more attention to what they don't want than to the feeling of desire and how wonderful it feels to really, really get, you know, it's almost like when they first decided to go down the road of golf and it may have been as a junior or in college or whatever, that there was just a fun, strong desire that, you know, just the hopefulness that came with that desire. Well, they kind of lose that. And, and what happens over the, over time, over the years or whatever is they start using the proof to chip away at their feeling of desire and so now the disappointment mm -hmm. really um, kind of sabotages that feeling of desire. Does, does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. And, you know, I think for a lot of people, they, they put undue pressure on themselves. Um, and you're yeah. exactly right. Um, even what people don't realize, even touring professionals, you know, fall into that trap where, you know, they've been playing – really well but they're just not seeing the result that they anticipated right and this comes in right. this comes into you know your next topic and that was expectation their expectations sometimes yeah. are are so high and, and they put so much undue pressure on themselves um and because they're not able to execute it then that strips away the first one the desire 
um, but then it puts them in a, a situation where um, they're not realizing um, the goals or, or the the, um, the desired level that they had. So talk about expectation. Why again? Why is that important? And and yeah. when you're working with your students, why is that an area that you focus on too? Yeah, ex- expectation is a lot like desire in that what we really work on is we work on a very high degree of expectation, almost like a no-nonsense type approach to, yeah, I just expect to hit a good shot. And it's kind of like desire in that if we're not using results to chip away at the expectation uh, and we just stay in that place of I expect something great to happen, and if it does, that's great. And if it doesn't, you know what, the next shot I expect to uh, expect to do it well again and so we're using the mind in a way and effective mind game coaching is really when we do use the mind to get the emotions out in front of results and performance so so the thing is is you could expect something great to happen with the shot that you're about to hit and if you could teach yourself to do it through mind training to stand up there and expect something great every time you hit a shot there's never a problem. The problem is, is when you start letting the results um, affect you emotionally, which is a very normal thing to have happen. I mean, that's obviously sure. what, what, what we work on, what I work on with students, right? But, but to teach them to be able to believe in themselves and expect something great to happen with every shot. Now, whether it does or not is not the point. The point is right. that we can train the mind to feel that way regardless of the results. And when we can get into that mind space, you, the, the bottom line is golf is a crazy game. As you know, we've been at this a long time. Right. You're, you're never going to be able to control results, but you can control the way that you feel um, before, right. during, and after a shot. So that's really the work as a mind coach, uh, what, I'm, uh, what we're after. So uh, expectation is a lot like desire. It's probably a little bit a strong desire to hit a good shot is you know, certainly we want the strong desire, but uh, I also love to see expectation that, you know what, I just flat out, I flat out expect to hit a good shot here. And that's a no nonsense approach. I just expect it. And if we're not taking score of the shot, it's a great mind state to have them in. And they love, they, here's the other thing, the funny thing, uh, Ted, mm-hmm. is that athletes love to feel this. It's not like we're asking them to, uh, uh, oh, you know, yeah, geez, I got to feel expectation here. You know, this is just, this is, this is just, you know, I'd sooner just, just think that I'm awful. Uh, no, they love to feel it. They just haven't been trained how. You know, what, what's interesting about that is, you know, when I look at so many of our club golfers, um, that have, you know, aged a little bit over the years and they're not hitting it as far <laughs> they have sure. an unrealistic expectation. They don't realize that they're not going to hit it 300 yards anymore or two, even 250, right. you know, in my day was the, was the number. Now it's 300, but right. um, you right. know, 200, 250 was, the, was the, the, you know, the benchmark at uh, when I was growing up and you know, what happens is they get out there on the golf course, they have a very high, which I mean, it, it's good. You have to push yourself and you have to feel, you know, be in that mindset but you also have to be realistic that there are going to be things that are going to have to be adjusted and changed along the way. And Absolutely. if you don't hit 
some of those milestones that you once did, it's not the end of the world. And I think what it does for a lot of people, and I think this is why you get so many of our uh, our more senior or more seasoned players dropping out, is because their expectations are they think, well, I should be able to still hit it. You know, I can hit a pretty good ball. Why am I not hitting it? They're looking. Number one thing they're looking for is more distance. And when they can't right. achieve that expectation, suddenly their desire goes away. And that's why you get people that used to play every week now might only play a few yeah. times a week because they don't have the desire anymore. Fair, call them fair the assessment. aging warriors. Oh, absolutely fair yep. assessment. I call them the aging warriors, and it's like they, they've. Um, uh, I, I see it a lot here in Florida because I'm familiar with a lot of the, the pros who were in, in their day, really, uh, even as club pros, very, very, very successful, played at a high level. And, man, all of a sudden now it's it's like, yeah, bodies start falling apart a little bit and and uh, games start falling apart and expectations and, and, um, but see, that's the funny thing is that, um, and what I did try to share with them is that you can still, and here's the deal is that you can still expect to hit a great shot, but don't take score of it. It, It's, and that's the hard part, isn't it? Uh, To, which of course is the fourth area we're going to get into tonight, which is acceptance. But you know, golf too, as you know, this, it's really, one of the other things we work on is that golf is really a game of learning to make adjustments, not repetition. And I don't think we do a right. good job as coaches um, these days. I think we, we, we really with video technology and, and all the wonderful tools. And by the way, I love, I love the tools. So I'm not, I'm not this is mm-hmm. not, this is not an assault on that. But it really right. is a game of adjustment rather than repetition. Well, we've been suckered into believing that we're just going to get you to groove a move that's going to yeah. give you consistent results for, you know, forever. And what we've developed are a lot of players who can't adjust when things start going bad. So um, right. I, I, there's a physical component to that, of course. But there's also really an emotional and a mental component to that too, in that um, um, it's just it's a game of change, and we don't look at it that way. We've really got people, golfers, believing that oh no no that you know uh, it's just it's something that uh, should happen the same way every time. And and again, as you kind of alluded to, the the senior, the seasoned golfers. Uh, when that stops happening can be a major disappointment to them. A lot of them do start to drop out of the game. I just don't want to play anymore. I'm not having fun anymore. And uh, it's unfortunate. Yeah. Unfortunately, I think more so for, for the guys because there's ego involved. I think we're naturally, you know, born with a a supercharged ego. And when things (laughs) aren't, aren't going the way we want, you know, we, we tend to get in a corner, sulk and pout and, and stomp our feet and, you know, we've, we've done sure. that as little boys, and we do that as, as grown adults. And <laughs> I, I think, you know, yeah. well, it's true. Well, it's not, uh, yeah. You know, but w- what I often see as well is, and it goes to what you just touched on, is, is about evolving. One of the problems that I think a lot of our everyday golfers have is, you know, they, they expect – that they're still going to play the same way. Their body is still going to function. They know they're older. They know yeah. that you know they've got some aches and pains. Sure. But they think in their mind that they should be able to hit like a 20-year-old. And what they don't realize right. is as your joints and your hips and things like that and your shoulders and whatnot, um, as we age, they change. 
And that swing that you were going to your point with instructors, we have to be mindful of that is because if we're teaching them one way to play this game and then 20 years down the road, we're expecting them to repeat what we've taught them. Right. Even though right. there's been physical changes, then we're right. actually doing them a disservice because that's not correct because the body changes. It's, it's the same thing as we've got people who, you know, many of our, our wounded warriors that are injured now, you know, they might once have, have played a very good game, but now they have to make adjustments. They can't be expected sure. to go out there and play the same way they did, you know, before right. they lost a limb right. or before they were, you know, injured. Sure. So, again, it's a game of constant adjustments. Even the tour players, <clears throat> they all have to adjust as they go along. And it's a matter of, uh, again, coming into the next topic is belief, is you have to believe in yourself that even though there might be changes, you have to have the confidence and the belief that you can still go out there and play a good game. It may not be the same game, but you can go out there and play. Let's talk about belief. Excuse me. Um, absolutely. Sure. You know, it's funny. It's funny as we mention uh, belief because I believe that belief is the one, the one intangible. Uh, maybe all the emotional qualities: uh, desire, expectation, belief we're never going to be able to measure. And it's funny in the golf swing, we want to measure everything that we see with the swing. And I get that. And I like that, but, but it's the one thing that I think that probably as a mind coach that I probably chuckle at the most is when the, um, the broadcasters and whatever are trying to tell us what is going through somebody's mind. Uh, that's yeah. the one <laughs> intangible we will never, ever, ever know is what qualities like desire and expectation and belief uh, are going through a player's mind. Everybody's wired differently. Everybody's different from week right. to week. I mean, we, we have lives. We have um, things that we bring with us to the tournament. There's some weeks where just, we're just sharper mentally and emotionally, uh, which, of course, I would say translate into the, into the physical. But I, I do believe that belief, is the most uh, important uh, quality that there is within the mind game. That that if if you can't believe in yourself, but here's here's the here's the big catch with the quality of belief is that most people believe that they use the proof of what they see, their practice and how the ball flies and how their bodies move and the shots that they make. They use that to establish their belief which on the one hand I get, but that's not the kind of belief we're talking about. Talking about the kind of belief where you, you, you walk onto the course believing, again, that something really great could happen today. Um, yep. One of my, well, it's not one of my favorite stories. It happens all the time. You walk onto the putting green of a tournament in the morning, and, and um, it's like, um, hey, Mike, how you doing today? And the first thing Mike says is, uh, well, you know what? I, I, I don't know yet. Got to wait and see. Almost like I've got to wait and see how I'm playing before I can tell you if I'm doing well or not. And that is totally the mindset we have to get away from. You, you again, any of us could feel a strong sense of belief that something good or fun or whatever is going to happen today and stick with that mindset. And to me, that is the mindset of a champion that you can sustain the belief in spite of the shots that are kind of you're throwing out there. Um, it's where we get the mind out in front of the proof. And it's the hard, uh, Ted, it's the hardest thing in the mind coaching that we do, obviously. 
Most yep. people, most people uh, want to see the proof before they can believe. Yeah, and I think we do that in everything in our lives. I think it's you know, well, if I, True. you know, um, if I see, um, you know, that there's little green men and a flying saucer hovering over, then I'll believe that there's aliens. <laughs> you know, it's like you know, and I know that's kind of a, right. an off the beat right. topic, but it's the same thing. We we want to see before we well, believe. Well, it is the same. Thing. I want to go back. Yeah, exactly. Right. I want to go back really quickly just to, to add to a point, something you said uh, a few moments ago, and that was about, uh, you know, a lot of the broadcasters and that, you know, a lot of times, again, they believe that they're inside the person's mind and they're basing it on the outcome of a shot or the outcome of a tournament. And really, they don't know what's going on in that player's mind. They don't know at that particular moment when that, you know, uh, right. tour pro is in the bunker and, and you know, uh, hits it thin and it goes over into the water on the other side of the green. They don't know what's going through. I mean, these guys are are, are no. playing at, at the highest level. It could be anything right. that could have set them off. And and <laughs> and I be. know that they're just, yeah. you know I, I know that they're just trying to um, you know to add some banter to it. But a lot of times it, it it also does a little bit of injustice because what it does is to the people that are watching these tournaments, it then allows them to start creeping in doubt and and. Um, you know, when they get over those types of shots, thinking, okay, gosh, I'm thinking, sure. you know, they, they overanalyze a lot of times with these players. And uh, I think a lot of times it's just to, you know, to fill the, the, uh, the time in. But, uh, you know, you're right. You can't get into a player's head um, and, and really know for sure. Um, you know, we, we have to guess. And obviously based on their feedback is, is how we make the, the assessment. Um, I, I know. But, yeah, believe it. Ahead, yeah, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Oh, no, no. I was going to say, I, I would dare say that 90% of the juniors that I coach, and, and I've coached a lot of juniors over the years, but to listen to them talk, they sound mm-hmm. just like the announcers. And the unfortunate yeah. thing with that is, is that this is how their belief systems get formed so that nothing's ever good enough. He shouldn't be making that mistake. This and that, and most of it is is not positive banter. It's 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 establishing negative beliefs, and then the kids grow a little older, and they've got a belief system now that's in place that is borderline very negative because of the things right. that they've heard growing up. Uh, Ted, you know this too. I can promise you, nobody is out there trying to hit bad shots. They're all trying no, to play not. to the best of their <laughs> abilities. And, and and we don't hear enough of that, in my opinion, because that wouldn't be very controversial, and it certainly wouldn't be the kind of stuff <laughs> that people want to hear. But but in fact, in fact, it'd probably be like listening to golf thirty or forty years ago, you know, where it's just like uh, uh, where they the announcers actually said very little, and we just watched more of what went on, what went on, and now we're trying to get into the you know get into their heads and, right. and whatever and figure it out. But I think you're absolutely correct. <laughs> We never, ever, ever know what is going through a player's mind. And the second guess, I get this asked this all the time as a mind coach, what do you think he was thinking there? And my answer is always the same. I have no idea. Uh, but right. if you were to ask that to most people, <laughs> they're, they're sitting there saying, well, I think he was thinking this. Or when we asked him, he said this. Sure. I'm here to tell you, too, that half of them don't even really have a deep level of awareness to the level of, of maybe fear or apprehension that was going through their brains or their bodies at the time that something unwanted happened. And there's one more variable here is that it's really important to understand is 
we can have a great mind game and still hit bad shots from time to time. And we can have a lousy mind game and hit incredible golf shots. So the two don't correspond, line up in the same moment in time. And over time, I, I truthfully believe that they do, that, that you know, th- there has to be a strong sense of belief, but it doesn't mean you're going to believe, sustain this high level of, of uh, this high level of emotion um, for every shot. We're, we're humans and we don't do that. But um, uh, to think that, um, uh, to think that we can ever figure out what somebody else is thinking or how it translates into their movement or their shot selections or their right. missed shots. or <laughs> there's, there's, there's a bajillion different variables with every golf shot, is there not? Yeah, oh, at least. Um, and, and you know what's interesting is I think for a lot of players, you know what I often do when I get, uh, you know, when I've worked with different students and, you know, they'll say to me, you know, I wonder the same scenario, you know, I'm wondering what so-and-so was thinking about. And I, I throw it back on them and I say, well, if you were in that position, if you were in the bunker or if you were, you know, in the rough or whatever the scenario was, or you're even in the middle of the fairway and you've got this approach shot, what would you be thinking? And I throw it back on them right. because, you know, not forgetting the tournament that's going on, or just in that situation, what would you be thinking about? And, right. and it's interesting because if you ask a tour player, the same question, you know, what are you thinking right now? You're getting ready to hit this shot. What are you thinking? There's really one thing that the tour player is looking at, and they're looking at where their next target is, you know, whether it's approaching the green or whether it's a layup or whatever the situation is or whether it's, you know, putting in a positioning it in the fairway. They're not thinking about all the barriers. They're certainly conscious of wind conditions. They're conscious of, uh, of trouble that could be around, but they're not focusing on that. But if you ask most amateurs, given any shot, what they're thinking about, more often than not, they come out and say, well, there's water on the left, there's, you know, penalty bunker over here, and there's this, that. They're always looking at it from a negative perspective. And what that yeah. does, as, yeah. as you know, is it, it brings in doubt and it resurfaces um, the negative aspects of their abilities. So then their confidence goes away, their expectations go away. I know I can't get it over that ravine, so I'm going to have to do this instead. I know I can't avoid those bunkers on the left, so I'm going to have to lay up over here. So what happens is a lot of times their choices, because they don't believe in themselves, their expectations, um, uh, and can work the opposite. Sometimes people have unrealistic expectations. They, they go for it when really they shouldn't. So it skews their, their, their level and ability um, to make sound judgment. And that's the difference right. really between the tour pros and the rest of us is the fact that they don't focus on the trouble. They don't focus on the negative aspects. They just have a specific goal, a target in mind, and that's what their goal is, to get it to, the, to that target, whatever it might be. And that's simply their goal. They don't, everything else is just irrelevant. And, and I love that, and I, and I agree with that. Their minds are more focused on what they want to do than what they don't want to do. And um, right. uh, I think that's a very important, very important distinction. Yeah, um, the players that I work with, uh, I probably, I may simplify this a little bit more than most, but, but even some of my better players is that uh, I, there's three things, I think, for every shot is that where do you want to hit it? Where's the best place you want to hit it? Um, and, you know, approach shots, a lot of times, middle of the green, whatever. But 
then then number two is well if I don't hit it there where do I want to be so that so that right. you know we're we're also taking into account the miss and then number three is where can I not hit it I think that they have to be aware of that but now a better player yep. is going to be aware of it but they're not going to be scared of it whereas I, I think no, you hit no. it right on the head that you take a not so good player and it's number three where can I not hit it that is receiving most of their focus and intention from inside the mind and the brain. And um, that's exactly what happens. Um, the story that I share a lot, <clears throat> excuse me, in the clinics that I do, and, and uh, I think it's a, it's a great one. Well, we know now that, you know, if you think about hitting it in the water, you're probably going to hit it in the water. So we've been here now in right. few years, you know, whatever you, whatever you're thinking yep. about, whatever you're giving your attention to, is where you're going to hit it. Well, by the way, the way the brain works, that is very true. The brain does not know the difference between what it imagines and what it sees. And so if we are thinking the water, we're up in the chances we're going to hit in the water. So most players are going to say, oh, well, no, I shouldn't be thinking about the water because because if I do that, I, I can certainly go in it. So what am I going to think about? So I'm going to think about the middle of the fairway. All right, that's where I want to hit the ball. So they step, step up to the tee and and sure enough, they hit it right in the middle of the water. <laughs> and uh, and right. uh, you'll ask them, well, where was your focus? Was it on the middle of the fairway or was it still in the water? And the answer invariably is, yeah, I was still afraid. Now, I tried convincing myself I was focused on the middle of the fairway, but my mind was not in that space. My mind was still in the place of don't make a mistake and hit it into the water. So that the, the fear, well, actually, one of these qualities we're talking about tonight there was a lack of belief that they could truly hit it in the middle, you know, in the middle of the fairway. The belief was still that, yeah, something bad could happen here, and generally it does. Well said. Uh, you know, something else, too, that I just want to point out, you know, when, when you're dealing with the professionals, um, another way that they look at it is, you know, once they've got their defined target, they also – factor in what they consider an acceptable miss. They know where their shots are going to miss. Um, yes. And what I, what I mean by that is if they know they've got a bunker to carry to get onto the green, they know that in order to execute that shot, getting into that bunker, if the shot's not pulled off, is acceptable. Correct. On the other hand, yes. if there's water that's there, and they're not 100% sure that, that they can execute that shot, then that shot's no longer um, an acceptable miss if they get into the water because now there's penalties involved where the bunker they know they can get out of. Correct. So that's part of the assessment that a professional is going to look at differently than what an amateur is going to do is right. most professionals that have been playing for any length of time – for more, and, and obviously there's exceptions where you know a shot may go off a little bit differently, but for the most part, they know that if their shot is not pulled off, they know that the the outcome more often than not is an acceptable outcome. So they play a percentage. They say again, giving examples Correct. I just used, they know that that bunker is a higher percentage than if there was a pond surrounding that green. So they're they're more willing and apt to take that risk. But amateurs Correct. will take those same risks and not factoring that in. And, again, that, right. that, that's a lack of, of belief in themselves and their abilities. 
and you know all of the other things that that we talked about and i think that this kind of moves in a little bit and i know it's not everything but moves in a little bit to the last one and that's acceptance because i think once you accept um and there's always room for improvement once you accept your abilities and you accept the decisions that you make along the way you have an easier time i believe in playing this great game and if you cannot accept your abilities and the limits of your abilities, and that doesn't mean, again, that there's not rooms for improvement, then I think what ends up happening is you, you, you're, not, you're no longer focused. Um, am I right in that? I think you're absolutely correct in that. There's a little bit of, little bit of difference, though, in what we're talking about. The, the quality, I think, that you're talking about, and it's an important one, is commitment. And... Mm-hmm. What I find, what I found over the years is, I, and I call it, it's a lot like a prize boxer. And when when I deal with the, you know the the professional golfers and whatever, the prize boxer analogy is, if I'm going down, at least I'm going down swinging. In other words, mm-hmm. I'm not going right. to sit there, not be prepared. I'm going to be in the game. I'm going to be I'm going to mm-hmm. be fighting in the game to to do what I believe. Commitment is a, is a great energy in that it really is a highly, highly focused energy. And, and you're right. When we are committed to doing something, we're much more likely, if there is a mistake, to accept the mistake as opposed mm-hmm. to when we're not committed, we're not prepared, we're not really, we don't have a plan, we're not feeling good, there's no belief, all the rest of the stuff, and then we still step up, uh, we still step up and hit the ball and then make a mistake. So a lot of the non-acceptance that I do see comes from um, these other qualities that are lacking in the pre-shot routine. So that when we can get a player really committed and feeling like, you know what, I've given it my best. I, I I have prepared for this shot as well as I can. They're much more likely to accept. So the acceptance is something that takes place. Um, it's it's a mind state uh, that we want. Um, acceptance is really about getting over your mistakes quickly. Um, mm-hmm. We don't have to like them. That's an important difference. Right. Um, a lot of times when we talk about acceptance, an athlete will say, "Well, you just want me to you just want me to be you know to like it or be okay with it." And it's like wants to be okay with it, but just okay from the standpoint of you can't change it anyway, so you might as well just get over yeah. it quickly. And yeah. I would dare say that um, would dare say that a lack of acceptance is probably the number one thing that I work with, uh, with most junior and newer golfers, they just have a really hard time accepting their mistakes. Um, and mm-hmm. this whole idea of, um, you know, that they, uh, this is where I think, this is where I do believe that, that touring players are much, much, much better by and large. And, and we still have a number of them out there and we can see, well, these guys are not accepting too well, but by and large, most of them, they can hit a shot that doesn't quite go where they want it to, and they're going to accept it a lot easier than than a lot of amateurs. Um, experience is one thing, and probably probably everything, but they just know not everything is going to go their way. So acceptance is really the ability to just get over quickly, and just you know, kind of like I jokingly mm-hmm. say too, please just get over yourself because really. Um, you weren't trying to hit a bad shot. It's not like you were right. trying to do something wrong. 
So why are you, you know, why are you going down that road when A, you know, it's really, when A, you know, it can't be any different than it is. And B, yeah. you know, it's not helping you. Uh, you're not, if you're not able to move on quickly after a bad shot, you, this game will just, it'll just, you know, chew you up and spit you out. Well, I often ask, you know, uh, some years ago, I started asking some of my students this because I, you know, as I've mentioned many times on air before, I, I primarily deal with corporate types. So, um, you know, I don't sure. teach juniors and that sort of thing. So a lot of these guys, you know, many of them have been playing for a number of years. And I always ask them, when you show up to the golf course, which are you? Are you a golfer or are you a baggage handler? And they'll stop for a minute and say, what do you mean a baggage handler? I said, well, when you show up to the golf course, are you the guy that you see at the airport that's pulling two or three bags, all their luggage and all their baggage? And what I mean by that, this is what a lot of our amateurs, the trap that they fall into, is just what you were talking about is, you know, bad shots or bad rounds. They're bringing, they're pulling all that baggage with them to the first tee. Yeah. And they're thinking right. about all of the, the missed opportunities. You know, even if they're playing the same course, they're thinking about all of that. So that's what I mean by, by bringing their baggage. And, and that's my reference when I say it's a baggage handler, because if you're doing that, then going to your point, you're not accepting that, you know, it's okay if you hit a bad shot. Right. Put it away. Right. Learn from it. Right. Figure out, not in the moment, but figure out later when you're, you know, assessing your round, what it was that you did wrong. Was it just a matter of you hit a bad shot? Or when you prepare for it, you didn't get the information you needed or you didn't make an informed decision or you weren't confident in accepting right. of the decision that you made at the time. And once Correct. you do that... And, and that's what the pros do, then they move on. They forget about it. They're not sitting there thinking, well, I had a yes. terrible shot. If you ever listen to an interview, and, and I never really realized this for, for many, many years, but somebody made this point. If you ever listen to the pros when they give an interview, even if they've had a bad round, you vary, certainly the seasoned ones anyways, you don't hear them talking about every bad shot they hit in that round. No, no, no. They're talking no. about, you know, I played really – listen to Tiger. I mean, if you listen to how Tiger talks – even when he loses a tournament, he doesn't say, well, you know, my putting sucked. He might reference that, you know, he wasn't making as many putts, right. but he always reinforces right. it with positives in his game. And I've even heard him when he's, right. you know, won the uh, tournament by, by 12 shots, you know, he'll come out and say, well, you know, I wasn't playing my A game today. And people are scratching their head and thinking, what do you mean you're not playing your A game? You just beat the field by 12 strokes, you know. Right. But they, they certainly acknowledge and they're realistic, but they're not dwelling on it. And, and that's right. why I say that. That's what I meant by baggage handlers. Many of our amateurs, it's just like they're wheeling up to the airport. They've got three or four bags of luggage with them, just <laughs> lumping it up to the golf, you know, and that's what they're taking to the golf course with them. All the bad shots, There's all the bad rounds, right? No doubt about it. And, and the 19th hole for the adults is certainly notorious, but one of, one of the things – one of the things that, uh, again, as a, as, a, as a junior coach, and I would be out with a, a lot of juniors, and, and um, we would go to the junior luncheon or whatever, which was a lot of, a lot of tournaments have a junior luncheon. And, and I'll be sitting at the table, and, um, and uh, they'll be sitting there talking, and all they're talking about, all they are talking about is their bad shots. And the funny thing, Ted, yep. is that I always get a kick out of this because, you know, uh, one of them will walk up to the table and, you know, the question that, that they're feigning is interest is, yeah, how'd you do today? And, and um, 
the the kid will say, uh, well, you know, I was doing okay until the ninth hole, and then I then I, I yeah. pumped it out of bounds, and then and it, but it's mm-hmm. all, all the talk is about the bad stuff that happened. Now the funny thing is though, is that then the guy who asked him will chime in and top that story with one of his own. So right. it just turns into this <laughs> giant contest where nobody's really listening to anybody anyway. They don't really no. care. They just want to top the stories. And this is, to me, is what amateur golf is filled with, is a lack of focus. The focus is on the bad stuff that happened rather than the good stuff that you want to move toward. And therein lies the difference in the mind game. The mind is either, you know, Mm -hmm. and and this is something that work on very very mindfully with the students I coach. Mm -hmm. The mind is always either focusing on what is or what it wants. And generally, those are not the same thing. So we're using the mind to observe and rehash, which is not a good thing, or we're teaching ourselves to use the mind to move toward a new desire. And that's what we really want to train athletes to do, is to to Mm -hmm. want it more, to desire more, to learn what it takes to get to that level. And a lot of that means temporarily observing what you don't like, but you're not dwelling on it and you sure are not talking about it, you know? Um, So uh, I think that that's a very important uh, distinction right there is that you're really focused. You're not spending time talking about what you don't like or what you don't want. It's, it's just going to reinforce it in the brain, not going to move toward what you want and it's not going to take performance where you want it to go. Just that really just is that simple. Yeah, exactly. You want to walk up. You want to walk up to that first tee, um, you know, with confidence and reassurance. And yes, realistically, we're all going to hit some bad shots along the way. But you want to walk up there with a, a clear conscience, and you want to walk up there with confidence and with a specific goal in mind. My goal is, I'm going to define my targets as I go along, and I'm going to do my best. To execute those shots based on um, yeah. you know yeah. what I know I'm capable and confident in doing and I know that if there's situations that I'm not confident with then I'm going to you know assess it at the time and I'm, I'm going to pick something that I know I'm going to be confident with and it's just like picking a club you know a, a lot of times we'll you know when I'm, I've done a playing lesson and I'll take somebody out there and we'll you know have a 150 yards you know to, to the hole and I'll say well, what club are you going to use and, you know, I can tell one of two things happens. Well, I'm going to hit my seven iron or I'm going to hit my eight iron, depending on the player, um, or even six <laughs> iron in some cases. And they're very, very confident. And they step up there and they execute the shot. And even if the shot doesn't come off perfect, they made a, a decision based on their comfort level. And then there's other people. Correct. I'll see them to walk up and pull four or five clubs out of the bag. And they're sitting there scratching their head, not sure what to do. <laughs> and they're looking at everything right. around them. And that's because they – they don't have a clear objective when they step up to that ball. And, you know, they're, they're, again, they're, they're bringing that bag. They're thinking, well, I know when I played this yesterday, you know, I hit a seven iron, so I better use my seven iron. Well, the conditions are different today. You know, you've got a wind in your face today. So you have to, you have to be aware. And, and as you pointed out, you've got to be conscious of a lot of those variables, but you have to be confident and you have to accept the decision that you make um, when you step over that ball. And if it does go in your favor, hey, great. And if it doesn't go in your favor and you hit, hit it into the water, you hit it in the bunker, just accept, okay, 
it may not necessarily be that you made a bad decision. It could have been outside elements. It could have been the wind gusted up and, and you know held the ball up in the air a little bit longer and it didn't get the distance you needed. So there's a lot of variables. But don't don't overstate it and overthink it. Just accept the fact you didn't hit a good shot and move on to the next one. And that's what the pros do. Right. It, it, and, and I agree with you. And it's going to happen. It is not a game of um, – It's a, again, it's a game of adjusting. And you better be able to adjust mm-hmm. off whatever the course throws your way on any given day. And you just, you just have to be. And, and you know, the, the, the thing that I see most often there, again, is that um, uh, students trying to do things they don't really believe they can do and then, to make matters worse, getting angry and upset. Now it's one sure. thing. It's one thing to be, you know, uh, it's, it's some of the players out there, even on the tour, are what I call the, the swashbucklers, and and I think Mickelson's <laughs> a perfect case in point. Yeah. That just love yep. play, love play, and the risk. He he kind of needed the risk, and and other players are more methodical. That suits their personality types. But but yeah, I, I often get asked, you know, should I go for par five? Should I not go for par five? Should I try and carry the water? Should I not? I don't care what you do. I just want you believing that you can do what you're about to do. Do you really believe it? That's an important question. But the second thing is, are right. you willing to live with the consequences? Because if you can't live with the consequences, you don't want to be doing what you're doing. Then, then that's, yep. that's kind of just, you know, your, 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 your uh, insides telling you, you know what, that is not the best choice. Let's choose something else because, again, this is where I think the, the pros are, are masterful. The top-level players are masterful. It's, yeah. like, it's almost like a, che- a chess match or, a, or, or billiards mm-hmm. is a great sport. You're, you're thinking, you're thinking yep. about you know, the next shot. The quality, though, that, that, again, as we're talking about the mind game and when we talk about being in the zone, I, I would arguably say that – uh, the tour players are probably better at getting into the zone or being in the zone than most amateurs. That that would probably go without saying. But to me, right. the quality there is that they are playing truly, truly, truly playing more one shot at a time, whereas mm-hmm. amateurs tend to their minds stray more into the past or the future. So yep. they're right. they're not they're not what I would call in the now. And I think, you know, I'm not even sure that, that most tour players would call it being in the now. It's what I call it as a mind coach. But there's really, when you're in the zone, there's no past or future. It's just you are playing, you are just playing in this moment in time. And there again, they, it's, it's just, it is the best way to fly. Uh, um, one of the things that I, that I coach is that all negative thinking, and this is an important concept, but all negative thinking out there of any kind always surrounds thoughts about the past or the future. We've either dragged in what happened before that we don't like, and then usually just project those right into, and it could happen again. You know, bad things happen. Right. And they did before, and they, prob- they probably will again. And, uh, and, uh, or they're, they're really anxious about the future. So, so yep. in both scenarios, they're not effectively using the mind to stay really in the present moment. And just, just, I'm very fond of saying, take care of this shot only take care of this shot and it will all fall into place. Well, and, and it just goes to say, you know, um, the past is the past. It's already happened. The future has yet to come. And the only moment is now. And that's what you have to focus on. You're exactly right. Well said. 
what a great way to uh, to end the uh, the program with is is with that thought. Um, it's hard to believe, but boy, I'll tell you that was a quick hour. <laughs> well, when you and I when you and I do get together, yeah. we have a way of uh, of uh, time does fly when we're together. So it's yeah. always always a lot of fun being on the show with you, and we we I never seem to run out of things to talk about. So no, exactly. Yeah, well, that yeah. well, that's the important thing. You got to have things to talk about, and I think we do it very well. And and uh, um, but Tim, I want to thank you as always for coming on, and and um, I'll give you just a, a quick moment if you want to let the folks know the best way if they want to reach out to you whether they're uh, an aspiring tour player, whether they're a tour player, whether they're somebody that just needs help uh, with their game in general um, on uh, some expert help in mind coaching, uh, what's the best way that they can reach out to you? Yeah, I just want to throw in one thing, and then I'm going to give the information. This is, this is I think, sure. what a lot of people miss out on. They think, they think they've got to get to a certain level, good level, high level, before they can work on the mind game. And what I'm trying to encourage people is that, no, work on the mind game early and bring that mind yep. to all the physical skills that you learn. And the whole process just goes so much easier and quicker. So don't wait to work on the mind game. Bring the mind game with you. And then you've got a set of skills that you can use on the course as you're developing as a player. But anyways, um, yeah, the, the website is peakperformancemindcoaching.com. And, uh, and um, yeah, would love to uh, do a lot of events throughout the country in terms of clinics. Uh, the nice thing is is we, we don't just do – theoretical we actually show you in pre and post shot routines how the work is done i do a lot of private coaching and that's the way to get a hold of me and would you know just uh, uh, love to work with anybody and and certainly um, believe that we've got some good stuff going and can help well perfect Uh, again what a great way to end uh, tonight's show and i want to thank you as always tim for coming on and and sharing your thoughts and expertise and i look forward to you uh, the next time you're on Coach's Corner, I know we'll be coming back in a little bit to, to do that uh, in the near future, and and hopefully um, we will get some momentum going with with the courses opening up. And I think this is a great opportunity uh, for a lot of people who've been cooped up for a while. Uh, this is going to be the ultimate social distancing game because uh, you know we don't have to be <laughs> on top of one another. We're not body checking or, or tackling one another. So, or at least they shouldn't be anyways, unless they're having a really bad hole. Good point. Yeah. 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 But um, Tim, thank you as always for, for coming on uh, golf talk live. It's a pleasure. And I look forward to uh, you joining me again uh, on the panel and and on future shows. Thanks a lot. All right, buddy. All right. Have a great evening. Take care. You too. You're welcome. All right. Good night. All right. That was my very special guest, Tim Kramer, the president and founder of peak performance mind coaching LLC. Uh, Again, you can go to, uh, peakperformancemindcoaching.com uh, to check out his website, all of his contact information there. And um, uh, just a, a great guy, just knows uh, that aspect of the game. And, and as he said, it's very important. You know, we spend so much of our time on the range trying to hit the perfect shot. And uh, a lot of times when we get out there and the shots don't go the way we want, uh, we become very frustrated and, and our level of, of frustration gets to a point where um, – you know, as I pointed out early, many of you out there just decide that you don't that you uh, you don't want to play anymore as a result of it. And um, you know, we put sometimes undue expectation on ourselves, and um, it, it just chips away at, at our desire and, and our belief in ourselves. So, um, reach out to Tim. I think it's a good opportunity for to learn um, really what's important about golf. All the the top pros uh, work with people like Tim. Uh, on their game. So if it's good enough for them, it's good enough for you and I. 
Uh, again, special thanks to um, Bill Kramer, or sorry, um, Tim Kramer, and uh, for joining me as my special guest, and Bill Abrams and Pete Buchanan uh, for joining me on the Coach's Corner panel. Uh, I will see you next week with another panel and another great guest. God bless everybody. Be safe out there. And for those of you who are getting out to play some golf, take it easy. Um, do your social distancing, but have some fun. God bless everybody. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this evening's broadcast of Golf Talk Live. Remember to tune in each week at blogtalkradio.com forward slash golftalklive. If you can't join us live, check out the on-demand section for previously aired broadcasts or listen on any of the following social media platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, CastBox, TalkStream Live, and of course, Spotify. To get updates on future shows and upcoming guests, be sure to visit the show's Facebook page, Golf Talk Live Blog. You can also follow me on Twitter at Ted and Buck CEO. Remember to join me live each week for another great broadcast of Golf Talk Live. See you next time. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.